Wow, what a powerful song, and what a great way to start our services. We've been talking about power and weakness because, I mean, you know, think about, you know, Christ became weak for us in his death, but the power inside of him resurrected from the dead. That's what Palm Sunday is reflecting on all that took place and, and him offering himself for us, but then the power to raise from the dead, conquering sin and death so that we can have life. That's exactly what we'll be talking about, what we've been talking about for almost, what, eight weeks now in Second Corinthians. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and turn there. If you have your phones, also if you have the, the app, there's a bunch of um, notes that are on there. Um, in the program, there's additionally, there's some, some notes there. If you're more into pen and paper, those are there. Uh, for you. And uh, we're just thankful to have everyone here today as we get ready to celebrate Resurrection Sunday next week, Easter services, lots going on here at Rocky and also at the Hub. It's uh, We get to see and celebrate this power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And th- that song, I mean, hallelujah for the cross, you know, what was paid and poured out for us. Man, I'm thankful for that. I'm sorry. I got to celebrate that. It's undeserved. And guess what? I get to go to four services. I got to hear that song sung four different times. And I also might have listened to it on the way in, so I was ready to sing. And I got to hear practice, okay? And so I really, really love that song. I can't sing some of the notes, but back up off me. I like it anyways, okay? So, but this power in weakness. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I know often I'll say, hey, would you please complete your communication card and that type of thing. But that next step card at the bottom, there's actually a place that talks about who are you going to invite or how can we join you in prayer and have a name written down. Uh, We're going to reflect on that at the very end. So begin thinking now who you could possibly invite uh, for next week. And for some of you, you're going to fill out a bunch of names. And last week we got so many names on a card, we couldn't even hardly write them all down. Um, And so take an opportunity to do that. Before we jump into 2 Corinthians 5, I want to read one verse from 2 Corinthians 4. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So this light momentary affliction, it's talking about, you know, like last week we had the tent on stage and I got inside the tent and I talked from the tent and I watched it back on video. That was awkward. That was kind of weird. Um, and also I noticed by the 12 o'clock, I think I spent about 15 minutes in there. I just got tired. I laid down. I just started mumbling and I might have dozed off for a little bit. Um, but that tent represents this temporary affliction, this temporary life that we are not of this world. We are aliens to this world. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is a home that's not this home, okay? There's a home, there's a place that's prepared for you in heaven. And so we are to live for the eternity, not live specifically for the temporary. But there's this tent, this earthly dwelling that we have. It says we're going to groan in. It's difficult. There's going to be weakness, plenty of weakness. But the power of Christ is going to rise up in us and obviously heals us for now and for eternity. This sin problem that we're cursed with, that we've committed and we've brought upon ourselves. It's not just someone else did for us and now we're stuck with it. In fact, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, but God gave us this gift of Jesus Christ so that we could have life in him. And that way, this earthly dwelling will pass away, but there is all things are being made new and there's an eternity in heaven that awaits those who give their life to Jesus Christ. And the hard times that we experience in this life, it prepares us for heavenly times. Hard times also make us think about heavenly times. And we got to be careful that we don't put too much emphasis on the temporary, right? Because we make a temporary assignment extremely comfortable. We try to create a heaven on earth. That doesn't mean we can't have nice things. 
Some of you have kids, it's hard to have nice things, right? Um, But it doesn't mean we can't have nice things. What it does mean is we can't let it be too much of our focus. We can't let our hearts be captured by the temporary that we try to create and fashion for ourselves, but rather focus on those things of eternity. And so our goal is not comfort. Our goal is glorifying God. We're going to be in verse number nine of chapter five. I do want to tell you, though, these passages are very direct, very pointed, and we'll be digging in strong uh, to what scripture has to say for us today. Verse nine, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether that be good or evil. See, this temporary life has eternal reward. Our temporary life has eternal reward. It also has eternal consequence. What we do in the temporary impacts the eternal. We say, you know, Jesus gives life, but also we have to give an account to Jesus for this life. So he gives us life, but we have to give an account to Jesus for this life. This life we live is not about intention. Well, I intended to do that. It's not about what are you... Well, I was interested in the things of God, and we get to eternity. Hey, you know, God, I was interested in the things of you. It really comes down, have we surrendered our heart to Jesus Christ? Have we surrendered our heart to Jesus Christ? It comes down to the salvation that is provided only through Christ. Not performance, not good outweighing bad, not I was interested in, not that I believed in God, but rather what have we done with Jesus? Have we accepted this gift of salvation? You know, it's Palm Sunday, and and I I think about it because I I saw the kids um, back singing um, Hosanna, and they had like these streamers that were like, the palm branches, and they were like, Hosanna. They were singing it, and so I saw them, and so I started, Hosanna. I just was imitating what they were doing, and the lady waved her palm branch at me. She said, get out of here. Debbie did. She's like, go, get. And I was like, I just want to praise God, you know, and sometimes I go by, and I hear them sing, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and, and we think of Jesus, and we think of Jesus is love. God is love, and he is, but also He's our judge. He is love, but he is our judge. You know, like a good parent who loves well, loves their kids well, they're going to direct them. They're going to correct them. They're going to guide them. Jesus is the same for us. God directs us. God guides us. God corrects us. And what the Bible says is that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead, that there's a judgment that's coming for those who are living, meaning those who have receive this gift of Jesus Christ, and he's also going to judge the dead, those who did not receive the gift of Jesus Christ. So we have to answer this question. If you're a follower of Jesus, it says that there's something called the judgment seat of Christ. That means when you get to heaven, when you pass from your last breath here on this earth, whether that's through death or Jesus coming back, that there is a judgment seat of Christ. It's also called the Bema seat, okay? What it it kind of, this Bema seat is kind of a picture of of like the official at like the Olympics or at a track meet that sits up on the higher chair and looks down and can see the race differently from their vantage point. And they judge the race from there. They judge the, the finish line. That's kind of a, a picture of Jesus having that vantage point view of our life as well. And some of you have been to a track meet, right? How many of you have sat through one of those five-hour blessings? 
you know, the five hours, you know, your kid's doing one event and you're like, I love my kid, darn it. But, oh man, I don't really like the rest of these kids. I don't know if anybody's ever said that before. I'm here like, and then one day it's raining. Like I got rain on on Friday and I got a sunburn the next day. It was, it's awesome. I love Idaho as well. I'm not bitter. I'm just burnt. Okay. Um, and my clothes are still wet from the other day. It, it just happens that like you go there, but there's somebody that knows more than, than what can be seen down on the ground floor. Jesus looks and sees the race and how we're running that race. That's why it's called this, this Bema seat. It's a seat of, of accountability. It's a seat of position to righteously judge and do so in love, but also be this judge. And the, and the judgment that's going to come upon those of you who are followers of Jesus, it's not one for your sin because your sin has been paid for. Your sin will not be judged. It's not like there's going to be a big screen TV or like, a, like the ultimate plasma or like, you know, you think that the screen that the Dallas Cowboys have in their stadium is good. It's going to be even bigger than that and everybody's going to watch every bad thing you've ever done. That's not going to happen. We think that because it's scary. Parents might have told you that, okay? God sees and everybody's going to see it. You're like, okay, I'll never do that again, you know? Those things aren't true. We won't be judged for the sin that we've done because we've received that gift of Jesus Christ, paying a payment, his blood shed for us, covering that sin. Actually, what we'll be judged for is what we did with this life. Not what church did you attend, not how often did you attend, where did you, you know, what ministry were you serving in, if you're doing it for the sake of checking off a list, but rather, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? What did you do to share the message and the hope of me. What did you do with my son? I've entrusted you with these things. How did you steward those relationships that you have? That's why verse 9 says, we make it our aim to please him. We want to bring honor to him. Verse 10 says, if we, for what is, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether that be good or evil, we will give an account for what we've done in this life, what we've done in this physical, temporary tent of a body, of a life. So whether you live the life of humility or you lived a life of pride, whether we live this life of selfishness or we rather we live this life of sacrifice or one of generosity or we live one of just keeping for ourselves or one of, of comfort. It's important for us to know that heaven will be wonderful for everyone, but it will not be the same for everyone. Heaven will be wonderful for everyone, but will not be the same for everyone. And we'd like to say, man, if God is good, then God will make it fair. We don't want fair. Okay, I don't want fair. I've sinned. I deserve separation from God. But because of Jesus, I don't get what would be fair. Rather, I get undeserved favor, mercy, and grace from God. And that's how I have a relationship with God because I deserve something different. So it's very real when it says that there will be judgment, there will be an account that's given, that there are consequences and there are rewards for how we live in this temporary and those impact the eternity that we have with God. He's gone to prepare a place for us, but there will be rewards that the Bible talks about that will be given upon eternity, how we have faithfully served him or how we have turned our back upon him or how we received the gift of salvation, but we didn't live out what we've been given in that by sharing that with others or by living for something outside of ourselves. So the bottom line is there will be an account that's given for this life. This next part where it talks about specifically that Jesus will judge the dead, I just want you to know that my heart is extremely heavy for this. And here's why. We have to talk about this because people need to know. 
See, when I talk about eternity in the judgment seat of Christ, or I talk about this great white throne judgment, there are two judgments, one's for the believer, one's for those who have not, do not believe that did not give their life to Jesus Christ. Not everybody knows that. Some people think good outweighs bad. Some people think that, hey, you just get up there and it'll all kind of shake out and you know, there's a time of waiting and it'll all, it will all end up the same place at some point. Surely a good God would do that. Not everybody knows and people need to know. People need to know the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. It's really important that people know. But if we don't look at the Bible, we don't look at what Scripture tells us, we'll struggle to like passionately and persuasively or passionately live out the message of Christ because we just think it's going to end up okay and surely God will take care of everyone. When we've been called into his service and his ministry to persuasively compel people in the love of Christ to surrender their heart to him. See this great white throne judgment that's talked about. This is really hard to read. It says words like death, Hades, the lake of fire, judgment. I don't even want to read these words, but we have to read them because people need to know. Revelation 20, 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of fire, or excuse me, the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And it mentions this book of life on two different occasions, basically checking to see if the names and what names are written. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you've surrendered your heart, your life to him. I didn't say you performed your way and you're a good person. You attend church. Didn't say any of that. I didn't say your brother, your uncle, your dad, your grandpa's a pastor, your husband, your wife, they know the Lord, surely. Your kids have a relationship with God, surely. No, I said like your specific name, not the family name, your name. If your name is written in the book, then you are safe. If your name is not found in the book of life, there's eternal separation. These are hard and heavy things to hear. And it even says that if anyone's name, it mentions this book again, like let's just double check it. Let's check on that book again and make sure for this is not just a temporary situation. This is an eternal separation from God. See, that's why heaven is so good because God is there. And the reason this lake of fire, this separation, this what is also called as hell is so horrible is because God is not there. And people need to know. People need to know the hope. And some of you are like, I didn't know this was one of those kind of churches. I've been going here a while and now I'm hearing about hell, fire, and brimstone. I want you to know, this is with a heavy heart that I share this. We have got to know that there is life and death that hang in the balance of this temporary life that we live. 
Because in just a moment, what you see in this world that currently exists all around us, in just a moment, this entire earth and all that we've ever known will be simply gone. There's no escaping this eternal judgment that's taking place. There's a book of life that's there. It's going to have names that are written in it. And only one sin separates us from God, and none of us are perfect. perfect. No, not one. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to do child dedication. And many of you have done that in the past where you take, you have your children come and you bring your, your babies in or your children and you just say, hey, we want to dedicate them to the Lord. And you look at that child and what if I'm going to say, hey, today at child dedication, let me just tell you about that sinful little kid you got there. I want you to know that they're evil. They have sin in their heart. And some of you are like, amen. That's why we brought them on stage. Like... You want to throw something on them, get some water, get some, figure something out. Like, let's make, no, we just simply pray for them. And then we give them back to you and you go home. It's great. Um, No, we partner with parents and we come alongside. But here's the reality that from a very young age, like sin is not just because one person sinned at one time, although that's when sin came upon all man for we all have sinned. It didn't take long for us to start sinning, but there was one man that came that was sinless and that's Jesus Christ. He came for us lived a sinless life for us, gave himself on a cross. That's where the salvation comes in. But the reality, we've all sinned, and there's an account that's to be given for that sin. And nobody goes to hell by accident. There's no wrongful accusations, and this didn't really happen. No, there's a righteous and loving judge that has done everything, even offering his own life for us so that we can be saved from this. See, this death, this separation is for eternity. It's not for a short period of time. It's forever. And people need to know. People need to know. And you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to remember. You may say you know. You need to remember that eternity hangs in the balance. And there's good news today. Here's why. Because God would wish that no one, none would perish, no, not one. That all would come to repentance. That all would follow. That all would spend eternity with him. In our passage, verse 11, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Simply just talking about eternity, like my mind starts to, like start to like wig out. You know what I mean? I feel like the wheels are turning. Like, like I'm such a finite, I have a small mind. You don't need to amen that. But like, I can only, I can't even think about tomorrow hardly half the time. But I'm just focused on this one thing. And when I let my mind go to pass this vapor, this mist that I'm in right now, this temporary life, there's going to come this future. I start thinking about eternity. I start thinking about heaven. I'm smiling. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. That's good. Okay, what are we going to do the next day? Well, what about the day? Oh, so we're just going to worship. We're just going to sing. Like, we're just, we're, like, I can't get my mind to fathom all that God has for me. And then when I think about hell and I think about torment, I think about eternity, it just starts to wig out my mind and I just like have to stop because I can't like process it. Is anybody else like that with me? Because you're normal if you are, okay? As weird as this may be and sound, like you are normal in that. Your mind can't actually fathom all that eternity has. The infinite, and you know what I meant? The infinite, okay? Infamous. (laughs) The infinite love and eternity that God has set in store for us. And I read when it says knowing the fear of the Lord, like fear starts to sometimes creep in because I can't actually grasp it. And I worry and anxiety and going, I can't like get all that eternity has in store. 
And it says when that fear, that reverent awe, but also that motivating, there is an eternal consequence to be paid. It says in that, from that, let's persuade others. It doesn't say from that, just give up and say, okay, whatever ends up happening, God. No, it says from that, persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. But we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Basically, God sees it all and he knows our heart. We can't pretend a certain thing. We may toss on some pastels this time of year, but God knows our heart and he knows what's on the inside of our life. For if we're beside ourselves, verse 13, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. We're to persuade others. Just like there's a reason why you don't jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Because you know there's a consequence to that action. That fear motivates us not to do that and to motivate and tell other people to not do that for there is a consequence for that. So when we think about this life having eternal rewards and eternal consequences, and the Bible talks about the eternal rewards that are out there and that await those in our faithfulness to God, like these are things that we're to aim for that heaven's wonderful for everyone, but it's not the same for everyone. This fear of the Lord should motivate us to persuade other people. And, and some of you sharing your faith is, is you would say it, was, it comes naturally to you or it's maybe easier for you. Some of you say it's difficult and it's challenging. Well, if we are motivated because we've been changed, we should seek and save and share this hope that Christ has placed inside of us. And what I'm not saying is that you walk to the cubicle that's next to you and you walk around it and you just say, hey, what if you died right now? Where would you go? Would you bow your heads with me real quick? You, if you do that to the person that works next to you, okay, it might be a little different, okay? Uh, repeat after me. Raise your hand if you don't know the Jesus. Okay, uh, let's, just, let's just close the deal right here. You're not a salesman. You're not trying to put together some scheme for someone to go, like, I feel really bad. I'm, like, really scared of hell right now. So I'll go ahead and pray. Whatever you want me to pray, I'm going to pray. But then I'm going to go get some yogurt. You know, you're just, your goal isn't to close a deal. Your goal is to be faithful and share how Christ has changed your life. See, for some of you, you just, you tell a simple story about a child and you're praying, you've been praying and asking God to do something. You're sharing your faith through a story that's happened in your family. You're sharing your faith through God's faithfulness in your, in your marriage and how he rescued you. You're sharing your faith of how you battled this health situation, but you're relying on God. It's just natural the way you talk about the faithfulness of God. And you're sharing your faith, maybe not like reading like eight verses to them, but it's part of your conversation. And God may get you to a point where you do share eight verses with them, but you're willing and your heart is open to let God speak something through you that you may not have at one point had the confidence for. But we all have a responsibility to do this. We're to steward this. It's been entrusted to you and I to be ambassadors for him. Specifically, when I think about the name Rock Harbor, we named our church, you know, founded on the rock, and a harbor is a safe place for people to come into. But also, it's not a place where the boats just hang out. Boats are meant for the water. We've got to leave the harbor to go out and seek and save those who are lost, to share the message of Jesus Christ with people, that there are people that don't have the hope of Christ. 
And just as you would reach down into the water to seek and save and draw somebody out, just like in Jude 24, it says that we would reach into the fire, to the flames, to that of eternal separation, and we would snatch people out of the fire. Not because our biceps are so big and our boat is so great, but because God is alive in us. And he's the one that does the actual saving. And some of us, we don't share our faith because we don't actually know what we believe. Some of us struggle, and what do we actually believe? And some of us struggle because the message that we want to share with them doesn't actually match up with our life. And so we're insecure about that because we feel the accountability, and if we share, then it will be, how will it be viewed or seen? We're to persuade others. And it also uses this word that we would, this love of Christ would control us, that we would be compelled, that we would be persuasively compelling others. Persuasively compelling. You're going, Keith, that's pretty much the same word. Yeah, it is. I added an L-Y on the end and dropped it in there. Why not hear the same word twice? It's actually really important, and it's found in this passage. It says to control or compel. See, we're supposed to go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, for we've been invited to an incredible dinner party. We've been invited into an incredible banquet for eternity with God, setting at his table We've been invited in that we should invite others. And and Christ calls out and says, go and invite people in. Be persuasive about it. Compel them for this. In fact, it says to do so in love. Are you persuasively compelling others in love to come to Jesus Christ? To receive salvation. To be freed from a past. See, when it says compelling or controlling, the translation from Greek is, it talks about like the river banks. Just like a river, the reason a river goes a certain direction is because it has banks that, that allow that water. If you were to drive up to McCall right now, you're just, the snow is like running off of the mountain. And it's just going right down those river banks. It's kind of like when you drive on an Idaho highway, those back mountain highways, the guardrail, it keeps you, well, there's, have you ever been to those places where you're like, okay, there's a guardrail, don't get it. There's one that needs one. How many have seen that? You're like, it would be really good, like, move that over to here, right? Maybe it's better to illustrate it like bumper bowling, okay, where you drop those things down. Some of you are like, I love the bumpers. I always break 100. Congratulations on being subpar at something um, with guides. But those bumpers, it gives us the opportunity to stay directly where we're supposed to be. And that's what the love of Christ does. It directs us. It guides us. So is God loving Yes, but he also guides, he judges, he directs us, and his love, the love of Christ is how we are to follow him. So are we the ones that save people? No. In fact, we should live every day as if the souls of other people, it relies on us, working as unto the Lord, but we can go to sleep at night knowing it's all in God's hands. We should diligently work as unto the Lord in everything that we do. But we got to know that he's the only one that can save a soul. He's the only one that can rescue someone from darkness and bring them to light. But he uses us in his journey. He uses us in this story. I love verse 14 and 15. It's perfect for Easter and actually any week here at Rock Harbor, you've heard this kind of message. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
and he died for all, that those who might live no longer will live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What if we stopped living for ourselves and started living for him? What if we stopped living for ourselves because people need to know? It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Just simply think of those words. It makes me uncomfortable. If you're uncomfortable, (laughs) you're probably feeling a lot like Christ. Be uncomfortable for him. Make a sacrifice. Choose not to live for yourself, for people need to know. And there's a public way that we can display that Christ is alive in us. We'll talk about verse number 17 a lot more next week. It's going to all be about like, you know, to, to know the love that Christ has for us. The old is gone, the new has come. I want to show you this picture. This is from the last four years worth of baptisms that, that we've done. And, and I just wanted to show these t-shirts specifically. You see the old is gone, the new has come. 2015, 2016, we, got, we kept the logo, saved ourselves a little time, just changed the shirt color to green. The old is gone, the new has come. Then 2017, I'm made new. And then just this last year, we've seen it's uh, the old is gone, the new has come. That we've been made new in Jesus Christ. This is the celebration that I've surrendered my life to Christ. Now I'm going public and celebrating what Christ has done in my life. And I see four faces, four individuals in those pictures. But here's what I know. We're coming up on 1,000 people over the last seven years that have been baptized, celebrating what Christ has done in their life. And two weeks from today is our seven-year anniversary, and it's a chance, if you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, to take that step and say, hey, I want to go public with the decision that I've made for Jesus Christ. I want to get uncomfortable. I want to go in front of people, and I want to proclaim the one who saved my life, for I am no longer destined for separation from him. I'm with him now and for eternity. He's my Lord. He's my Savior, and I want to testify of that. I've been made new. I haven't earned my way. I hadn't got the hookup from somebody. No, it's been God came and rescued me from my sin. He was uncomfortable for me. And the comfort I have is that I'm in his hands and my eternity is held in his hands. These next couple of verses, it's our job description. You may be wondering, what is a job description? What do I do as a follower of Jesus? Check this out. Verse number 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. The first thing, you want to know what you're to do as a follower of Jesus? You're a minister of reconciliation. That sounds pretty professional. That's your job title. Continue on. Verse 19. That is Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So guess what else? First thing you can do, not, you're a not counter of trespasses, okay? If God's not counting our trespasses against us, then why are we judging other people? We think, I'm not going to send a text. I'm not going to invite them. They've told me no before. I don't know. I we struggle with forgiveness. We're to forgive as Christ forgave. Next, we've been entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Another thing you are is an ambassador for him. And what does an ambassador do? 
They live in another country than where they're from. And guess what? This is not our home. Our home is there. So you're an ambassador. There is eternity that awaits you. That's actually your home. You're not of this world. And guess what? I've been rescued from much. So guess what I want to do? I want to take as many people with me to heaven, to my home as I possibly can. God making his appeal. Guess what? You're an appealer. Write that down. You're an appealer. I don't know what it means. Just write it down. The next thing, you're an implorer. What does that mean? I don't know. Write it down. You're an implorer on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. You've been reconciled. And the last and possibly the most important is this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you write down righteousness of God. You're not your abortion. You're not your divorce. You're not your broken relationship. You're not your bankruptcy. You're not your career. You're not a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister. No, 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 no. You're the righteousness of God, the greatest title that you can have or have. You've been bought and paid for by God himself who came down as a man. And if you've received this gift of salvation, you're an ambassador for him because you're his righteousness on display for other people to see. And you've been given a gift to be persuasively compelling for other people to be set free from all those things I just listed. Or you can choose to be comfortable. Maybe someone else will tell them. Maybe they'll find out some way. No, go and tell them what you've been saved from. Go and tell them what you've been rescued from. Go and tell them whose your life is. Go ahead and tell them your eternity is secure. You've been bought and paid for by someone else. And now you've been made righteous. Wow. There's a harvest that's coming in six days. And at this church, our two locations, and all throughout the world, there are going to be people celebrating. There's a harvest that's going to happen. God's going to draw people to himself. What part are you going to play in that? Because people need to know.